Welcome to Scores and Pours, the podcast where you learn about wine and classical music, hosted by sommelier Jill Mott and myself, radio host Emily Reese. Today we're going to talk about dreary. It's drear times in the Northern Hemisphere. We're in mid-February. We're going to talk mm. about inspirational wines and classical music to help you through the dreary times. Yeah, so like I was going to talk about some music that I listen to when it's dreary nice. to help me not feel dreary. I'm not going to drink dreary-infused wines. I'm yeah. only going to... Drink wines that make me want to get out of the drear, <laughs> as it. it were. Yeah, that sounds great. Check out patreon.com slash scores and pours for a playlist and wine list. And uh, do consider supporting the musicians you hear by buying their music. Why, hello, Emily Reese. Hello, Jill Mott. It is February. Yep. If you look up dreary, as I mentioned in the intro, you'll get the words dull, bleak, lifeless, depressing. Mm -hmm. It's pretty much what a lot of people would say about Minneapolis, Minnesota in winter in February. Yep. Yep. We literally did just have one of our grayest Januaries on record this past January. Many, 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 many days without sun. I like to think of wines that inspire non-dreariness that can combat this drear. And when I think of words that, for me, it's energy and verve. Verve. I want want that in a wine, and I want to talk about how the wine I chose today and the woman who makes them, Mm -hmm. whenever I'm kind of down and out this weather, I, I think of her, drink the wines, and and the drear for mere moments or for a while can go can go away. Nice. Yeah. Due to the fact that they're leaded with energy, leaded with verve, and unfortunately, yeah, you can't get them anywhere in the United States except for the Twin Cities, so sorry about that. But <laughs> we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. What about yeah, you? I have a very specific um, list of music that I go to when I'm feeling dreary or needing to combat, needing some sunshine in uh, my life, whatever that may mean, whether it's to match the weather or the mood. I I have very specific things that I listen to, and I think a lot of us are that way, you know? So perhaps this could be added to your list to kind of cheer you up. So I sing uh, True Blue from Madonna in the bathroom (laughs) at all decibel levels. That's what I do. (laughs) I'm just kidding. That's definitely not what I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I can't wait to hear more. Yeah. Where should yeah. we start? Well, let's go ahead and listen. Let's I listen. love that. Let's listen to something. Um, you know, I think if – I don't know how much on this podcast I've talked about my absolute love and adoration for Johann Sebastian Bach. I'm sure it's come up a time or two. And when I'm having a particularly difficult time, it's like it, some people talk about – and this also helps me it, take a walk, kind of helps you to organize your thoughts and kind of – kind of sets you straight a little if you maybe do a little exercise or something along those lines. This is uh, my brain's version of that when I listen to Bach. It stops me from uh, my brain going in a million directions at once. And on a dreary day, sometimes that's difficult to combat when it's crummy out and, you know, you're just like, "Mm, man, I just wish I felt better. Has this always been a song that's done that for you? Yeah. Okay. I mean, for decades. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and it's it. not just. 
I can, there are certain go-tos from Bach, and this is one of them, right? So there are many that I'll go to, particularly depending on the type of drear I'm feeling. It might be Bach's Goldberg variations that I need. Like if I'm having trouble sleeping, I'll put that on, and that helps me to just focus on the music and fall asleep. And But if I'm looking outside and I'm like, wow, I need some sunshine right now, maybe I'm cleaning the kitchen, or maybe I'm trying to get a little work done or something, and I, I just want to feel a little musical sunshine, I will often listen to... The B-flat Partita by Johann Sebastian Bach. And is it B-flat major? Yes. Okay. Is definitely. it usually major that you would want to listen to? Because I would imagine yeah. like minor mm-hmm. and clouds don't necessarily sound conducive to raising spirits. Yeah. I mean, music in a minor key, which is music that sounds sad, if we're going to really uh, oversimplify it, but also kind of accurately n- describe it. It sounds pretty sad. And, um, you know, music in major key can also sound very sad in a more melancholic, bittersweet way. There's a lot of that in this music. But uh, in particular, I love the second movement of this partita. Partita, by the way, is just a collection. It's a suite. And a suite is a collection of shorter tunes or movements that are meant to be played together. So this partita has six movements, and they're all relatively brief. Uh, But in any event, we're going to listen to the second movement of the B-flat partita by Johann Sebastian Bach. This always makes my heart smile. (laughs) I love that it's the harpsichord. Why? (laughs) That's so cute. I mean, all right. So, so nice. It's, it's so, so perfect. It's so, what's great. There's so many people that are like, I'm going to listen to some Beyonce today. <laughs> I know, not me. And Emily Reese is like, I'm going <laughs> to throw on some harpsichordios. <laughs> like, that's so great. I can't help it. But it's so beautiful. I was actually, I really was going to talk about, because Bach really is when I'm, when I have a hard time, he's my go-to. I'd say 96% of the time. and Because I do have Lizzo days, right, where I'm having a bad day and I just want to jam out to some, I don't know, something not Lighter. classical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Bach is, is my go-to. And and I also love to listen to his English suites. And mm. so maybe we'll, ta- we'll talk about those. And I didn't even write those down. But let's talk about those because I do love... a a pianist named Angela Hewitt. I love her interpretation of Bach's music, and I love to listen to her version of his English suite. So we'll listen to those in a bit. But first, I want to hear about this wine that cheers you up. Well, so I I brought a very special wine from this person that is available nowhere. Um, But before (laughs) I get to that, we will release at some point an episode that's called Why We Do It. And Emily and I talk about why we are in this these professions that are quite strenuous and competitive and um, you have to know your shit and keep up on your shit in order to do anything um, you know that's that's you think is personally successful um, and 
most people, if they listen to the podcast, they may know, like, I work as a sommelier here in Minneapolis, and I do some writing. I have the podcast, of course, but I also have a small brokering project called Jill Mott Selections, and I only have about two to three producers because I just, they're great, they're dear friends of mine in, mm -hmm. in Spain and on the West Coast. Esmeralda Garcia is one of those producers. Esmeralda, she is a woman who has been through the ringer. She... Um, in the last few years, she has had uh, an incredible, uh, some trials and tribulations with a business partner she had, who she was very dear friends with. People were trying to steal her vineyards and mm. and her family's vineyards that date back, you know, centuries. Wow. Um, and so she was at risk of losing her entire, uh, not even inheritance, like inheritance fiscally, but just what tradition as mm -hmm. she knows it and mm -hmm. what she's working with day to day she, it's her most intimate connection is with these mm -hmm. vines yeah. so we're outside of the we're in the Valladolid area we're in where most people would know Rueda so we're northwest of Madrid a little bit and on my second to the last visit I brought some sommeliers with me and I was there with three other women and myself to visit Esmeralda and we were Tasting through everything, and at the end of the tasting, Esmeralda said, you know, you know, she poured a little splash from this small barrel and, you know, told everybody what it was. And it's this solera that I thankfully have tasted only a handful of times. Um, her grandfather's, uh, I think it's her grandfather's father, it's a solera that dates back well over a couple hundred years, that every vintage since the grandfather, they've been putting a small amount in. Oh, wow. And they only take out a small amount at baptisms, weddings, and everybody gets, you know, a teaspoon. Huh. And Esmeralda said, well, I just want to let you know that, um, and we were tasting it and we're all kind of teary-eyed and like, wow, this is such beautiful wine. And it's not one of those wines where just because it's old yeah, and because she's continuing it, it's good. Yeah. It really is one of the most powerful things I've mm -hmm. ever had, right? Okay. I'm very good at separating experience from actual truth in wine, right? So yeah, yeah. she says, well, I just want to let you know that there's been one bottle since the Solera has started that's left the country. And I brought it with me to England to visit a friend. Hmm. And she said, and there will be 12 more. And I kind of looked at her like, what do you mean? And she said, Jill, on your next shipment of wine, I want to send you 12 bottles wow. to do whatever you want with, but I just would please ask that you never sell it. So I gave two bottles to two dear friends mm -hmm. that know her story, love her wines, and I've only opened one bottle. This I opened to share with my staff who loves and supports Esmeralda's wines in November. I've had one glass of it since, and I thought that it would be a really fitting wine to open for this podcast because not only is it absolutely delicious, but the story of her triumph and the energy this wine is laden with like, I mean, will combat, I mean, I might as well be fucking in Hawaii, you know, like in the middle of a beach, uh, not just with, with kind of the sunlight that yeah. I can taste yeah. through the wine. Amazing. Let's taste it. <laughs> I know. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible. So this is called her Solera, Solera Familiar, which is uh, Verdejo, basically, that has been in a barrel and since her grandfather's time, they've been always putting in and always taking out uh, small amounts when they have a festival 
that they would like to or a festivity that they would like to commemorate. And this is usually when you're tasting, if you're in the, the family gathering, you'd get about this much. Um, so you'll notice that it smells a little little oxidized, a little nutty. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a time where um, pre, probably 1960s, 1950s, a lot of wines in this region had flor, like that yeast film like sherry. Yeah. So that's where this is not only old, but it has that kind of sherry-like aroma. Yeah. It's not fortified. And this is one of those wines that every time I taste it, it smells a little bit different, but I, and this has been open since November and it smells like it was open Incredible. yesterday. You know, it's just like so, and I never write notes when I taste this because I don't need to. Like it just. How does it not turn into vinegar? Because it's just so old. <laughs> really? It's got so, um, no, that's not why. It's got a lot of, um, the pH is very low, so it's got very high acidity, which is okay. a, um, is a, obviously a protectant. Mm-hmm. There's not been sulfur added to this, so this is just, it's not a afraid of oxygen. Okay. It's been made in a way that is not afraid of oxygen, so therefore oxygen will not um, harm it. Exactly. To scores and pours, to Esmeralda Garcia. To Esmeralda. To Bach. To Bach. I can't believe how, I know you hate it when I use this word, sweet it is. Is it sweet? It's very ripe. Thank you. Yep. Very ripe. Yeah. Ripe. It's a very warm place. Wines here can... Almost chocolatey. Her wines can top out at, you know, they can be 15, 5, easy and be... Percent of alcohol. And be mm-hmm. like, yeah, thank you, and be like dry, incredibly fresh. They shouldn't be. That's like a... That's an oxymoron in wine, you know? <laughs> but just watch how long you can... I mean, it's... Yeah, you can still taste it. Yeah. It lingers. Mm. It's kind of yeah. got that butterscotchy flavor that I taste sometimes in wine, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but not in a not in a overpowering way. It's just kind of part of it. I love how it smells like a combination of like brandy yeah. and like apricots. Like there's so and and those are just like utter simplifications because yeah. I, there's so much. That's there's so much history in this these this um that I know of always comes from a plot of like two hundred and fifty plus year old vines that are on their own rootstocks. They haven't been grafted that's been in her fa- family for centuries. And she only I mean, I'm just getting like I'm getting like goosebumps just even talking about it. So yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I'm and so I, grateful you shared this. Yeah, I mean I shared it with you, sharing it right now with the world, but you just yeah. can't have any people. Yeah, I, I know. guess it's like <laughs> but but this is um and I I didn't mean that to say this wine, all of her wines, you know, if you're living in Spain, if you're living in France, and you you can, if you're living in Wyoming and want to buy the wines, there are shops here in Minneapolis, St. Paul that will, you can buy them and they'll, sh- they'll ship them to you, oh, right? Okay, her her okay. other wines. But her, all of her wines have this element of, of struggle and of contemplation and of triumph and of energy that I think we all need to get through like hard times yeah. and sl- slash winter, yes, you know, yes. um, here in Minneapolis. So, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and I try not to think of the reason I brought this was when often when we get asked like, what do we drink to combat winter? You know, like what, what do you drink yeah. to combat the dreary days? Oh, it's so cold. Like the last thing I'm going to say is I want a big red or I want to, let's have a rosé that's like a middle finger to winter. You know, yeah. like I don't have a profile. Yeah. I tend to look to inspiration 
for things. So mm-hmm. like my advice to other people would be, what makes you excited? Are you booking a trip somewhere for mm-hmm. spring? or for, So go buy a wine from that place and get excited. No, it's delicious. It's, uh, you know, some wines, you can put it into a box pretty quickly. But for someone like me, drinking something like this, it's unique. It can't be like, oh, this is like that other thing I had that one time. This is a very special taste. The hundreds of thousands of wines I've tasted over mm-hmm. 20 years, I've never had anything like this. Yeah. And I've had a lot of special shit, you know yeah. what I mean? So, I can't believe that butterscotch aftertaste is tripping me out. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Love it. All right, what else you got? What else What else should we listen to to brighten the day? Well, I mean, let's let's go ahead and listen to some of the Bach on piano because I, I can understand. I understand that harpsichord isn't for everybody. It's one of my favorite sounds, especially a harpsichord that's recorded well and tuned properly. Whatever that means, whatever type of tuning it's using, if it's done right, it's going to sound fine. But again, acknowledging that harpsichord doesn't turn everybody's crank like it turns mine. <laughs> Let's listen to some Bach on piano. And um, and it's funny, I, I really didn't think I would play this for you today, but I do thoroughly enjoy listening to a pianist named Angela Hewitt. She's Canadian, and she is also kind of a... She's known for her... Bach interpretations. She's incredibly, um, God, all those words are going to sound negative. But Precise? She, she, methodical about it. Okay. And um, way she's not interested in um, being overly romantic about her gestures on the piano when she's playing Bach. So she's staying very true to what's written on the page in terms of tempo and, and things like that. And not being... Just not being dramatic about it. So in any event, let's just listen to a little bit of the first English suite. Again, uh, suite is a a collection of movements. Bach wrote six English suites. He wrote six French suites. Uh, This is the first of the six of the English suites. Do you want a little splash more before I put the cork in forever? two notes at a time is all you're hearing. It's like every once in a while you're hearing three notes sound at a time, but mostly you're hearing two notes sound at a time. simple. It just sets my brain straight. Emily, 
Emily Reese is getting teary-eyed over there to some good Angela Hewitt. I'm teary-eyed with some <laughs> Esmeralda Garcia, Solera Familiar. It's pretty amazing. is a good place when you have people that inspire you and I think for me that's what um, the the dreary days are about finding inspiration mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in dependable places sometimes yeah. Yeah. So. for me uh, I know you didn't ask <laughs> but I'm going to say anyway that one of the reasons you know because I, I certainly can get inspired by modern music as well whether it's modern classical modern jazz modern pop there's plenty of great music out there to listen to now so why do i go to you know the 1600s and 1700s when i'm having a dreary day and i think one of the reasons that i have such a tremendous amount of awe and respect for bach's music is when bach was writing that music there was no lizzo type fame you know he wasn't Rake, I mean, he made money and uh, did fine, but it wasn't like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it just, it was a different reason for him writing that music. It just was what he had to do and what he did. And well, it's I very, find it that's, really amazing. That's very similar here. You know, like, there has been, you know, a lot of offers up, I'm sure, for her to have more vineyard land or make more wine or produce more wine. We'll buy more wine kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I've never said, produce more wine, you know, like yeah. do your thing. Yeah. Because she just, she's got her four, four or five hectares. And that said, these vines are, you know, they're far away from each other. They're mm-hmm. from me to you away, not yeah. from me. And then there are two vines in between us and there's, you know, another vine. It's wow. like, um, so. It's amazing. She's really tending to probably more like three hectares tops. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of these 130-year-old vines is are, are your youngest vines, um, you know, those those don't produce a lot of fruit. Does a hundred and thirty year old person gonna be able to walk run a marathon? No. You know, they're gonna they're gonna be able to they're gonna be able to maybe walk out and get their freaking mail, you know what I mean? So like we're not producing a lot of wine here and it's like yeah. it's for a different purpose. It's amazing. Yeah. Delicious. Well, that's what I got. That's how I wanna combat a dreary day. Yep, yep. I love a little Bach. I do and there's so much more, obviously. I don't always go to classical, but as I mentioned, I most I mostly do. It helps me to concentrate on, I think, the power and simplicity of something else that's been created so beautifully. And I go for verve and energy and wine. And in this instance, I wanted to choose uh, one of my favorite producers. Love that. To scores and pours. To scores and pours. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to Scores and Pours with myself, Jill Mott, and Emily Reese. You can find links and information about this episode at patreon.com slash scoresandpours, and we're on Instagram at scoresandpours. If you like the show, we would love it if you could make a financial contribution for as little as $1 a month to patreon.com slash scoresandpours, or as much as $100, you know, know. Uh, Edited by Emily Reese and Jill Mott, our producer is Sam Keenan. Scores and Pours is a production of June Media Inc.